0: It's Stazapod number 202. Boy, we are almost at 2021. So I'm going to break down for you uh, some news items, what's just around the bend, get you guys informed about the next upcoming drop. We're going to talk about Wonder Woman 84, and uh, we're going to go over scalping and reselling. We're going to have a little refresher course on that. So thank you guys. It's Stazapod. Let's go. WW84, finally out. Um, This year really had some long-anticipated films we had to wait a long time for, Tenet being one of them. And uh, much like Tenet, Wonder Woman 84 really fucking sucks. I don't know if you guys have had a different experience watching it, but I actually could not get through the film. I had to stop watching it, and I I, uh, actually got an invitation to drive red hot nails into my eye sockets and that felt like it was going to be a much more rewarding experience. So I went and did that and I'm now recording this completely blind. I think uh, Wonder Woman 84 also is bringing to the spotlight a very big problem, which I've touched on before, and that is uh, our lack of skepticism in online messaging. And I think it's very, very apparent if you look at these early access reviews, and how the tomato reader, uh, tomato meter, is sort of plummeting now that actual people are seeing them, not just these these uh, journalists that glad handed their reviews and were given early access, um, you know, by a few weeks or so, uh, there was a huge cognitive dissonance between how this film was revealed, uh, reviewed, and the uh, sort of online early online chatter about it versus what we actually got. And I think that this sort of misinformation sort of dovetails nicely in to my urging for everybody out there to really have skepticism about anything you read online, especially if it's people in the profession of reviewing things professing uh, you know, an undying love, an intense undying love for something uh, with very flowery, flowerly indirect language. A great line from Tinker Taylor, the fanatic always harbors a secret doubt. And uh, if you see people being fanatical in uh, their reviews of pieces of media, I think that's a key indication that, um, you know, there may be a pay-for-play or sort of early access uh, quid pro quo going on there. So I would encourage skepticism. But besides that... uh, Utterly piece of shit movie. Um, Really great cast. They should have been able to sort of string something together here. But um, I think it's really bad. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's a sort of revisionist history that blames COVID uh, for how bad this movie is. Um, Even though, obviously, it was written and directed and filmed before the pandemic. I'm not even sure where to begin or how deep to go into my dislike for this film... Uh, I think that it is sort of perfectly summed up in uh, just being really, really, really dumb in how it's written. And um, particularly, it it kind of falls apart for me with Chris Pine's character and how he reacts to being in the then-modern world of 1984. Um, He nearly collapses in tears at the sight of an escalator and riding an escalator uh, which, with a uh, quick Google, you can figure out, were actually invented in the 1890s. Not inconceivable he would have heard of or possibly have ridden a uh, escalator, given that the film was set in, was it around, the first film, uh, around 1914? Somewhere in there. Also, that he's bewildered by a train. Obviously, trains have been around for a very long time. But I think that the point when I said to shut the movie off was him piloting... A modern fighter that just so happened to be on standby and full of fuel and ready to take off at the Smithsonian. Um, that's when I was like, "This is this is written by morons, for morons," and uh, I just I could not proceed any further. I, I guess there's a suspension of disbelief that they were asking for there and. Maybe in, in the greater context of the film, as just being a sort of popcorn flick, you can get away with that. But the problem is, the first film was very, very good and relatively rooted in real-world physics and logic and things like that. And it is the same director. Uh, I, I'm not sure why these very, very dumb things were put down on the page and, and sort of existed in the final product, um, it, it was bewildering. Bewildering. Um, I did not. I couldn't even hang in there to get to the much mocked cat's uh, esque CGI of Kristen Wiggs character. I really wanted to see that, but I just um, I could not bear to do it. And those again, those red hot nails were, were calling to me. Maybe I'm completely off-base here. I, I, I'm assuming some of you guys liked it. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts on it. And I, I won't mock you. Um, you know, I, 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 we don't need to start a flame war. I'm just genuinely curious if people were able to overlook the stupidity of the film and um, enjoy it. Because I I absolutely could not. Uh, I, would, I would actually rather watch... Um, An Anthony Fauci press conference where he arm wrestles with the Mario and Luigi brothers of New York politics. What I would recommend instead of Wonder Woman 84 is to find yourself an old DVD of uh, Jiminy Glick. Uh, Jiminy Glick is, uh, I'm calling for a renaissance. Martin Short is amazing. Um, That show still holds up, it is hilarious. And um, I think that that is a worthy successor to Wonder Woman part one would be to track down some old Jiminy Glick footage and uh, check it out. So WW84, I would say skip it. The dinosaurs have landed my... Creative Beast Studios' sample has arrived of the -the glow-in-the-dark dinosaur that I have up on pre-order. Now, Dave was very kind. He sent me some samples. They left, I think, early December. I just got them today, so I missed my entire window for pre-order. I didn't get to do my own photography, but uh, I'm holding it in my hands here, and I got to tell you guys, this is an incredible, incredible figure. Thank you to everybody who pre-ordered it. I'm gonna leave the pre-order up for a little while longer. Um, There's so much articulation and so much heft to this figure. You're really gonna love it when you see it. Uh, and the glow effect is pretty damn dynamic. Um, I I hope we get to do a lot of collaborations together because these are absolutely amazing. And um, it's gonna be an exciting time. I look forward to getting Chromega, and I look forward to mounting them up and they're going to go on all sorts of adventures and there's this wonderful time of year called the springtime when everything thaws and my friends you will find me outside during this so-called spring and I'm going to be taking a lot of photos in the brush with my glow-in-the-dark dinosaur and my Chromega, and it's going to be beautiful and everyone's going to applaud me I'm going to get lots of likes and I'm going to I'm going to have so many followers that uh, I will command a small army, and everybody will applaud for me, and then you will all have to watch my singing, and you're going to think I'm a very good singer, actually, and I work very hard at it. And that's how it's going to happen when 2021 gets here and it's springtime. And uh, if you say any different, I will ban you. So keep an eye out for dinosaurs in 2021. I've gone on record a few times about scalping and reselling and what role that plays in my line and in the hobby in general, but I thought it's a good time to do a little refresher so you guys can know where I stand on the topic. Um, I do know there's been some spirited discussions about this have popped up on the Facebook group and other places, and I just want to reaffirm, I have a very simple, very one-sentence stance And if you encounter a conversation online regarding reselling Knights of the Slice and uh, the moral implications of it, you can just repeat my one simple summary of my feelings on the subject. I don't care. And more than I don't care, I can do nothing to sort of mitigate reselling. Now, as you guys know, Knights of the Slice is not the only toy line that I've been involved in or worked on. Uh, I've worked at many different toy companies, many different lines. Uh, typically, in my in the entire breadth of my work history, I've worked on brands that are much, much bigger than Knights of the Slice, dealing with fan bases that are 10 to the 100th size of Knights of the Slice. So I'm very well familiar with reselling, scalping, poaching, bots, all of these machinations of collecting things and collecting toys and action figures online. I've seen it all and I've been through it all. I've been a community manager. I've been a message board mod for different toy companies. I've handled social media accounts. I've seen it all. I can easily tell you that. And, and I've seen how it has evolved as, you know, the online folks sort of matriculate from one platform to the next. You know, uh, Jazzwares had a MySpace page. Uh, Now every brand has a Facebook page and an Instagram page. And there's probably some other platform around the bend. Probably not Poller, but um, something. So what I want to say is I've seen it all. And I can tell you empirically, there is not much you can do as a creator or seller to stop people from reselling their goods. Uh, Nor would I want to. I have had a a handful of very touching emails this past year during the pandemic where people were asking for permission or apologizing for selling their Knights of the Slice figures. They were out of work. They needed money. They knew they had a couple of gems. And you guys never have to sort of ask permission to do that. You don't have to, (laughs) you know, there is nothing wrong with it. You should absolutely... Sell your Knights of the Slice if you want to, or if you're in a pinch, or you need cash, or whatever the reason is. Um, I have told the story many times of selling toys to pay my rent. Uh, I famously had a blue snaggletooth from when I was a kid. I found it at a tag sale. I didn't even know it was something special. And then in my, probably around the age, age 19 or 20... um, I was in between jobs, and had to pay my rent, and had to pay tuition, and I sold that blue snaggletooth, and I sold a couple other vintage Star Wars figures, and I was able to pay rent, and it was a beautiful thing, and and I sold it for more than I paid for it. So, one of the other reasons I, I don't really come down on scalping too hard is because I would be a complete hypocrite, because I've done it many times in my life, in order to Either survive or to get the things I want. As an unpaid intern, I drove across the country to attend San Diego Comic-Con, Las Vegas Star Trek show, and Chicago uh, Wizard World. And I had a very meager stipend that I had to sort of survive on and I don't think I was a salaried employee at that part. I think I was still largely unpaid but it was a free trip to go to these shows I've always wanted to go to. So of course I went. And, to sort of compensate myself, I hustled toys. I waited in lines, I traded product with other makers, I got a hold of as many exclusives as I could, and I sold that shit on eBay. And I went from being a starving unpaid intern into a slightly less starving unpaid intern Who could afford you know a couple extra cups of ramen so i really don't begrudge people who want to do this i it is a natural part of any collectible i really don't like uh the idea of sort of grandstanding or posting or calling out other resellers you guys are welcome to do it but i'll probably continue to take down these posts because i don't think it's constructive because it's not something i care to monitor or put people on blast for the other thing that's really really important to think about that as a customer you're not seeing this side of the fence and it may not occur to you i see what quantities everybody is buying and i also see who are reselling on ebay and i see if they Come back and buy more stuff. I have zero problem with somebody buying two or three of a single figure, putting those two spare figures online, and then coming back later that week and buying more stuff for my store with a profit. And I can draw a direct line to when this happens. I have a very good sort of sense of who the resellers are if I don't have confirmation based on shipping addresses and things like that. So I know who frequents my store I know who pick up extra and I know I have a pretty damn good idea of who resells and I know that these people keep coming back and reinvesting money in Knights of the Slice it is irrelevant what price they mark these things for you know if scalping is something you turn your nose up at do not pay these prices do not give these people free advertising do not you know don't buy in That's the thing with scalping. There have to be people that engage in the secondary market in order for it to have any power whatsoever. So if you find it to be a disgusting part of the hobby, just simply don't talk about it and don't buy anybody's second chance stuff. The other part of being able to see the back end of it is I know what the quantities are. There are not people buying 30 of a single figure within the first minute and then popping them up on eBay. 99% of my customers buy one of a figure. I can name on one hand the people that buy two or three of a single figure. But there are not people who are buying simply as spectators. There are patrons, there are people that support my crowdfunding campaigns that buy more than one and maybe they put it on eBay. And to me, one, I don't see the problem and two, There's not much I can do about that. When there is a sort of low inventory on things, I do a limit one. And I would say in the six years we've been in business, everybody pretty much adheres to the limit ones. There's been a few mishaps where somebody didn't read the fine print or X, Y and Z. But largely, there are not people, you know, um, trying to uh, capitalize on that and, and get more than is allocated. And I can also share with you that Shopify does have different apps that sort of track potential frauds. They track things like bots. And that's not a problem for us. It, it really truly isn't. Knights of the Slice and Glios in the larger sense is always going to be a line that is sought after because... None of the GLIOS makers, myself included, have the ability to take a huge position on inventory that can last for a substantial amount of time. And there's always going to be restrictions and limitations in our production procedures because we all run relatively small quantities. The factories are not open 24 hours a day. You can't just simply add on another 50 to 75 pieces. These things take a lot of planning. They're done very far in advance. And all these different realities, mean that our lines are largely something that can be hard to come by at certain times, and there can be limitations, and there will be stuff that sells out. That's, uh, you know, unfortunately just the nature of the beast. So if you've been out of work since March, you're sitting on maybe a Death Knight classic or something very, very pricey, and you manage to turn a buck for yourselves, I, I think that's great. I've done it in my life. I don't personally resell Older Night of the Slice styles. Uh, I'm sure I could make a killing with a dummy account and <laughs> if I wanted to go down that road. But I, I think I'll, I'll sit on my gems until, you know, I have to put up a GoFundMe for uh, some rare disease I'm sure to catch. But um, if you guys do this, and even if I disapproved of it, there's not much I can do. Once something's purchased legally, and abiding by my rules in the store, it is yours to do with as you please. I, uh, you know, really not much I can do, it's out of my hands at that point. And if people are able to make a little money and buy themselves something nice, maybe fix their roof, or maybe just go back to the Night of the Slice store and pick something else up, keep the money flowing in this little project of ours, then I think that's great. So uh, once again, those are my thoughts on scalping and reselling. And uh, do me a favor and share that message as you see it pop up online. All right, now that we got that housekeeping out of the way, let's talk about sales, drops, things coming up. If you're a patron, which I assume you are if you're listening to this, um, you know that the first painted mofo has been offered up early. This is Bridge, the King of Diamonds. Very good response to this figure. Thank you, guys. Bridge comes with his carbine and a sided revolver and a new cloth coat. This is the larger size cloth coats. The color does match the original duster. That the desert rat was paired with way back when, so fun fact there. But this is the larger size; it should fit quite well on Radic, and with a little finagling, you can get it onto Hackerman as well. Um, why does he not have alternate heads? I know this is a question that has come up. We want to try and do releases that focus on the individuality of the Mofos. Now, you guys haven't met them yet. You haven't read this the uh, comic book that is paired with Turbo Lea Toll. We're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. So to you, the mofos are these sort of five heads, and largely they are unpainted. You don't know their color scheme. You don't know their names. You don't know the story behind them. You're going to learn all that within the next couple weeks. So we want to make sure that there are sort of tailored releases that focus just on a single mofo character to give you guys the full experience of that feeling. And um, that's why Bridge is how he is. Uh, Also, this is a character that, of course, would wear an awesome trench coat. No question there. So, uh, very excited to finally get him out there. Fun fact, Matt Dowdy actually uh, did some real great service to this figure by redrawing and recreating the tampo prints on the eyes and the eyebrows, which I think you guys can agree are really next level they look it looks so much more dynamic than our previous figures and just adds a great personality to this character so i'm very excited about it somebody also pointed out in the comments this looks like a lupin the third color suit um you know any resemblance there is purely coincidental i assure you and Subsequently, if future styles of mofos also happen to have other looks of a said French thief, um, that would also be a coincidence. So uh, no comment there, but interesting concept you've thrown out there. So you pre-ordered Bridge. When does he ship? Bridge will ship with our next store drop. I don't have an exact date to share with you today. It's either going to be the 1st or the 2nd of January, to give me a little time i'm waiting on nikki i would really like to do a live stream with nikki and sort of have that be the launching pad for this so if you pre-ordered him just hang in there he's going to be bundled and sent out then what may also go out this first week of january could potentially be the action figure of the month for january still waiting on a couple details to land but that is a distinct possibility and i'm very excited about that i think you guys are going to love what we have planned to kick off this great club of ours were you a 30 dollars december patron and did you not yet get the final material style gift don't despair a lot of people are in that same situation instead of mailing out these gifts individually during this tumultuous time with the postal service in december and the christmas rush And undoubtedly, a lot of those getting lost and me having to sort of resend brand new product, I decided to wait on the majority of these, only ship out those final December gifts to patrons who had ordered from the store and had outbound packages. So the majority of patrons are going to get that December gift in January, likely with their action figure of the month club figure. Um, This just seemed like the smartest way because... I don't have a ton of extra. And if ones were going to turn up lost, it was going to be very hard to sort of resend, uh, you know, these missing parcels. So I decided strategically to sort of hold off a little bit and those will be fulfilled either with this drop or with Active Figure of the Month or together if that's the case. I do thank you for your patience in that matter. So what's gonna be in this next store drop on the first week of January. Well, we're... Actually, if you if you go to the site now, you'll see a little teaser with the banner. This is going to be a Turbo Atoll slash Mofo's sale. And the reason these are combined is because the Turbo Atoll Chapter 1 comic is going to be on sale. And at the back of that comic, there is a short Mofo's story. And... Um, It's really fantastic. I'm very excited to finally have this book in physical form and get it out to you guys. There is also, I know a lot of people are asking, yes there is a bundle deal for the comic which gets you a new figure that is themed to the comic. Um, I want to shout out all the artists and everybody who worked on getting this book done. It has been a very long time coming. I think I sat down in February of last year to write Turbo Atoll, and now the first chapter is finally here and real. Um, Gavin Mackey, Ian Amling, and Nate Jones, and then JB Rowe coming through big time for the Mofos artwork. All these people conspiring together, and of course Mark Mosman, the creator of Mofos, um, all of us conspiring together really put together a solid book. This is a little bit shorter than the full graphic novel lengths, that you are familiar with with the Knights of the Slice collected comics and with Rex Gannon the Indestructible Man but I feel it's it's the right length that it has to be the, these serialized chapters are super important to Turbo Toll. and uh I gotta tell you I'm very excited about chapter two we're sort of in the in the meat and potatoes of it right now and it's coming together beautifully in many respects the the first issue was the hardest to do. And now that that's done and underway, every subsequent issue should be easier and easier. And there's a lot of sort of fine-tuning and and changes and and collaborations that are happening as these issues get finalized into artwork, And, and that's a lot of fun. That's sort of the magic of the process. So you will have the option to by the comic by itself, or by the comic with the special tie-in figure. There's not a ton of the tie-in figures, but there should be enough to kind of last you guys for quite a bit. There's also another figure, which I don't—I I definitely haven't shown yet. But this is a, a really in-demand figure. Everybody's going to be genuinely excited about it. It is a Slice figure. There is assembly required. Remember to heat your parts. As you use this Um, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to ruin it there will be a sort of advanced menu preview for patrons hopefully time time allowing but um, I'm doing a big one I'm releasing a really really big figure this is a big deal it's gonna be a lot of fun you're getting a lot of value for this price tag and what this figure does And why he's being released now is he bridges the gap between some of the older Night of the Slice postcard comics and Turbo Atoll. So this is that character's time to shine. I think you're gonna be very happy with how it turned out and it will nicely inform how you digest Turbo Atoll. It'll go right along with it. You're gonna want to act out all the scenes from the comic with this figure. So, super excited about that. I do definitely encourage you to get the bundle. I think you're gonna like that secret figure as well. Uh, special note, if you do order the comic or the comic bundle, you will get a free Mofo's backer card, which you can uh, easily customize to with a little blister to hold the figure G.I. Joe style. Beautiful card, I believe Gavin Mackey did the designs for Mark Mosman and uh, that'll be going out to all of those deluxe purchases. Also coming to the store is a material update. I know you guys like your base material, unpainted figures for your customs. There's going to be an update there, I'm gonna get you some more styles, and these are themed to Turbo Atoll chapter one, so it's very appropriate. Um, also, if you missed it, I'm putting the final carton of pink zoner capsule 2 Saima's sort of racer that obviously plays big into turbo hotel chapter one that's going to be in the store there's not a ton of those left so if you missed out on its original release this is your last chance to get it i'm actually cracking open my license or sample case to give you guys uh, another shot at it extremely well seller people really like that version in that hot clear pink um so don't sleep on that if you don't have one, this is gonna be a last shot to get it. And you will need this to continue with your Turbo A Toll dioramas and, and things like that. We are also going to debut in short time another fan film from our boy, Kenneth West. This is themed to Turbo A-Toll chapter one. It is his sort of visual take on the story. It goes off in its own dimension and its own language, and I love it. And uh, we will be debuting that leading up to the store uh, drop. And it, it perfectly ties into everything we want to focus on for the beginning of next year. A big shout out to Kenneth West. He's been sort of, we've been plotting and planning for a long time. And uh, he really put his nose to the grindstone. He's a super talented editor and filmmaker. And I'm happy to call him uh, a patron in good standing. So that does it for this quick episode today. Hopefully that information is useful to you guys. As I work on the store and get a little more finely tuned, Uh, I will present a menu to you and give you a heads up on what's coming. The store will be open and closed sporadically throughout this week as I sort of build SKUs and fine tweak things. A big kind of overhaul happening, so be patient with that. Um, And I think that's about it. You guys are going to be very excited when we show everything. It's going to be a really fantastic time. Do not miss reading Turbo Atoll chapter one. You want to be part of the dialogue that's going to happen with the Night of the Slice fan group. So do not skip this. It's incredibly crucial. It sets in motion a lot of what's going to happen in 2021. Um, So thank you guys and pizza out.